0: Uh, welcome to our, our Good Friday slash Easter gathering. Uh, before people head out of town, we just thought as a leadership team it'd be good to get together to uh, worship as a family and as people are going here, there, and everywhere to remember the events of the crucifixion, but then also celebrate the resurrection. And we know that it's, it's not Easter on this Wednesday, March 31st. Uh, Easter's in a couple of days. But in reality, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live in the light of Easter every day. Because it's not like on Good Friday we put him back on the cross and crucify Jesus and and then he's in the grave. No, he's alive. He's alive reigning and ruling today, seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, he's the one we're going to celebrate and worship tonight. Uh, But tonight we have two different sections that we're going to go through. Uh, The first part is going to be focused on the events of Good Friday. And we're going to read the, the Good Friday and the, the uh, crucifixion accounts. And then I'm going to share a couple things. And then we'll, uh, we'll sing. And we'll take communion. And then we'll transition to uh, the resurrection. And, and celebrate as we wrap up uh, tonight. So uh, let me pray as we get started. And then Jen Schaefer is going to read the crucifixion account. Father, I love the words in, in Psalm 46 where it says, be still and know that you are God. And so this evening, we choose to be still and focus our minds and our hearts on you, God, the creator of all things. And we praise you, Father, that you are in control, that you are God, that we are not. And God, as I think about you being God in your perfect plan and your the amazing way that you work, and just how you sought to be so that you would send your son, Jesus, to die for us. We praise you tonight. We thank you for salvation found in you and you alone, Jesus. And I ask tonight that, that you would restore unto us, Heavenly Father, the joy of your salvation. May this evening be filled with joy. May this evening be filled with celebration because the tomb is empty, because the cross is the finished work. And so we don't have to strive anymore but we can just rest in knowing that we belong to you because of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us, and we just declare again that you, Holy Spirit, are the worship leader this evening. All glory and honor belongs to you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As Jen Schaefer reads the crucifixion account, I invite you, the words are not gonna be up on the screen. Uh, I invite you to close your eyes, to maybe invoke your imagination as we listen to these familiar words that I hope aren't familiar this evening, but to become anew this evening as we listen to them.
1: Now, Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, You have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all the charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, "'Which one do you want me to release to you, "'Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah?' Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, "'Leave that innocent man alone. "'I suffered through a terrible nightmare "'about him last night.'" Meanwhile, the leading priest and the elders pre- persuaded the crowd, to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Cursify him! Pilate saw that he was getting, wasn't getting anywhere, and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus' flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him and grabbed a stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine, mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one at on his right and one at on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests the teachers of the law and the elders also mocked jesus he saved others but he can't save himself so is he king of israel is he let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him he trusted god so let god rescue him now if he wants him he said i am the son of god even the revolutionaries who were crucified him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink it. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God.
0: What just hit me was the many that rose from the dead. Can you imagine being in the city and and then all of a sudden somebody who you knew was dead was was standing in front of you like, hey, what, what happened? Surely something amazing had transpired. And people were terrified. So many different emotions. I want to, this evening, focus in, though, on the emotion of Jesus. In Hebrews 12, These first two verses read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the founder perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I don't know about you, but the word joy isn't an emotion that I would have as I was going to the cross. That, that word joy stood out to me because we read the events of the cross and we listen to the story. And maybe you picture the passion of the cross, of the Christ from years ago and, and those events and uh, those pictures. And, and we, we see and we think about the brutality of the cross. And the cross was brutal, a horrific way to die. And if we were there in the crowd that day, we would have had a variety of emotions. Some of us might have even gotten sick, some of us would have screamed, some of us, if we were like followers of Jesus, if we had committed to our lives to following Jesus, we would have sobbed, we would have been weeping. I mean, the cross was was absolutely brutal. But then Jesus said, in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him. Isaiah 53 kind of get, paints a picture of the brutality that Jesus faced. It says this, he was despised. He was rejected, a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. It was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our God, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed, treated harshly, yet he never said a word, led like a lamb to the slaughter, it was a sheep of studying before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was crushed. He was pierced. He was beaten. He was whipped. I mean Jesus knew how difficult this was going to be. The night he was betrayed, when he's praying in the garden, he's praying so hard to God, and he's saying, God, if there's any other way, like, like make it happen, in a different way. And he's, he's praying so hard, and there's so much emotion that is welling up inside of him that there's actual blood dripping from his forehead. There could have been another way. God was like, no, this is the way. And he knew, Jesus knew, that God was going to turn his back on him. God was going to abandon him. And Jesus could have been could have been rescued, could have sent angels to rescue him. But why did he do this? Why did Jesus have this joy set before him? Why was he motivated by joy? And I think of joy again, and I think of Christmas, I think of vacation, I think of Captain Sunday. You know, there's there's happiness that rises up, there's pleasure that rises up think about joy, and if I'm going to have joy, there has to be like this prize at the end of this, you know, um, this pain that I'm exer- experiencing. The, the, the pain has to be less than the prize. And so really, what was even the prize that, that that Jesus was willing to endure the pain? What was that prize? Why did he stay on the cross? Was it the nails? No, I mean, he healed people. He walked on water. He could have gotten off the cross. Was it Uh, the orders of Herod and Pilate? No, because God was ultimately in charge, even though Herod and Pilate weren't. Was it the approval of God that kept him there? Was that the prize? No, he was approved before that. When he was baptized, uh, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Was it the adoration of angels? No, before he even came down, he was worshiped by, by millions of angels. What was the one thing that Jesus would have after the cross that he didn't have before. What was the one thing? You and I. You and I. Isaiah 58 says, it was was the Father's good plan to do this. Which kind of blows your mind. It was the Father's good plan to send his son, Jesus, to the cross. Why? Isaiah 53 says, so that the many could be made righteous. So what was the joy set before Jesus? The joy, he was motivated by this joy because of a great love for us here in this room tonight. He was motivated to go to the cross, to endure the pain and the suffering of the cross, to provide a way for you and I to be reconciled, for you and I to be restored to God the Father. And so the events of the cross is really the greatest act of love that this world has ever seen. Where the sinless sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, perfect, spotless, went and, and, and was nailed to the cross. Our sins placed on his shoulders. Paying the debt that we deserve to pay. Dying the death that we deserve to die. Why? Because he's motivated by love, by joy. The joy that was set before him. The joy of rescuing us, providing a way for us to be rescued in Christ. And so as we sing these next couple songs, I want us to stand right now and I want us to reflect and think about the joy and celebrate, really, the joy that Jesus had in going to the cross for you and for us. When I was a kid, I would take the bread and when I sit in church, I would squeeze it and try to see how small I could get it and play with it. And then as I thought about that right now, I'm like, as we look and we hold and we touch something that resembles the body of Christ, you know, we can squeeze it, we can push on it. I mean, that's such a, uh, a reminder that the body of Christ, as we read in Isaiah 53, the body of Christ was, was crushed, was bruised, was beaten, was pierced. All out of love for us in this room. Motivated by joy, out of love for us in this room. So as you hold that bread, when you look at it, that is love, not the bread itself, but what it resembles, this is love. Not that we first love God, but that God first loved you and I here in this room. He loved us so much that he would send his son, Jesus, to be the ultimate once and for all sacrifice for our sins. So the body of Christ, given for you, take it. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And it's such a powerful little phrase. Without the shedding of blood, there's no way our sins could be washed away. And we know that for centuries, for thousands of years, it was the the blood of innocent animals. Animals that were spotless, animals that were perfect. perfect. But that was all a picture, a, a foretaste of what was to come. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus, the perfect spotless one, Who left the glory of heaven behind, becoming a servant, humbled himself all the way to becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he did that out of love for us. And so as you look at the the cup, you look at the red juice, this is the, the blood, which represents the blood of the new covenant. The blood poured out by our Savior Jesus for complete forgiveness of all of our sins, making us as white as snow. So the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. What I want to invite you into right now is from Friday to Sunday there is a time of silence where nothing seemed to happen. And so I want us for 30 seconds, it's probably going to be a stretch, but for 30 seconds for us to stand here in silence and just reflecting on the events of what happened on Good Friday.
1: You can
2: have a Friends, I have some really good news. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body is lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you to the very end of the age.
0: You know, I want you to look at the cross and the, the red of the cross and after the events of Good Friday and the feelings that the disciples and people had, because we know like there was there was some sadness and disappointment because of when Jesus was walking with the two on the, on the road to Emmaus, they were like saying, like, we're disappointed because we thought this Jesus was the one who was come to, to redeem Israel. We had put our hope in him. We had put everything in them. And then just the, the sadness of all, all of a sudden he's gone and dead. And then three days later, when the women rushed to the tomb or went to the tomb and, and found that it was empty, and I love, absolutely love the resurrection account because it says when they were there, they were confronted with those amazing words. I get chills just thinking of it right now that he is not dead, he is risen. And it said that they had great fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. Like, both of those emotions together. Like, fear because, oh my goodness, what was was dead in the tomb for for three days is now alive. Like, that would have invoked some sort of fear. Like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of power to make that happen. But great joy because, because Jesus, who had said, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, and then three days later be resurrected from the dead... Um, and that actually happened, the joy that came from that, and that their Savior, the one that they had put their hope in, truly was the Savior of the world, and that he is not dead, but he is alive and he is seated at the right hand of God. I mean, the truth of the resurrection, the truth that we, we celebrate on you, so the truth, frankly, that we celebrate every day is that death doesn't have the final word. Sin doesn't have the final say, Hopelessness isn't the end final word is the resurrection, and that the tomb is empty, and that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. I mean, that should, should well up in us, like, a tremendous amount of joy. Jesus' joy was going to the cross for you and I to re- rescue and redeem a broken and fallen world. Our joy must come from knowing that, that, that Jesus is alive, reigning and ruling, and that, that we can have this relationship with him, that he is alive. I mean, followers of Jesus, us in this room, have to be characterized by this joy that is only found in the resurrection. Because religion will say, do this, do that, do this. Relationship with Jesus, the gospel says it's already been done for you. Religion says strive for acceptance. The gospel, the beauty of the, the resurrection and the message of Jesus is that you and I have already been accepted in Christ. Also, the resurrection gives us purpose. No longer do we wander around in this world looking for like, what is our purpose? As followers of Jesus, we are filled with purpose. Our purpose is to proclaim, to go as what was read, to go and make disciples, to go into all of the nooks and crannies of this world and say that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, that he loves you, that he wants a relationship with you. That is what we are called to do. And all throughout the first century, as these followers of Jesus had experienced the resurrection, they went around and the thing that they said was, Jesus is not dead, he is alive, he rose again on the third day. And I don't know about you, but I find so much hope in having a Savior that is alive, and not just alive, but is seated at the right, right hand of God. Because I know that I don't have to have everything under control, because ultimately he does. He does. He's holding the earth in the palm of his hand. He's, he gives us life and breath and everything else. And so what do we have to do as far as if Jesus is and Proclaim that, but also live that every day. Live in light of the resurrection. To cry out to Jesus, to, to pour out our hearts to him, to walk in the power of the spirit that he sent. And to proclaim, to proclaim that the tomb is empty. And so this evening... We get to celebrate the reality of the resurrection, that the, the grave is not the end. The tomb is not the final word. But three days later, he walked out alive in and his reigning and And So let's stand and celebrate because every time in the passage that, that Emily read, it says they went and they worshipped him. They went and they worshipped. They went and they worshipped. And our lives are marked by worship, by living a life of a sacrifice. But our lives tonight need to be marked by worship proclaiming the greatness of the one who saved us through his blood and is reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father. God, I ask that you fill us tonight with the hope of the resurrection. I pray that, that tonight that uh, just talking about the resurrection would be just so much more than words. but That we would every day be filled with Overflowing with your spirit, just filled with hope, because the tomb is empty, because you are coming back, because we will see you face to face. And so I pray for these who raise their hands who just need to be filled with hope. I, I ask Holy Spirit that you would fill them to overflowing with hope this evening. Lord, we pray for those who aren't here. We pray that you would fill them with hope. Those who are struggling this week, those who are going through it this week, that you would overwhelm them with the hope that comes. From you, Jesus. I just pray for these, that they would be filled with hope. Thank you, God. Thank you that you love us so much. We laid out our lives to you. We say this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.